Welcome back to Copilot's Review. This episode, we're going into the cockpit to get an inner look at your co-pilot's minds. This is Justice over there, and I'm Josh right here. Just that's I was about to say, Justice, you want to say hi to the fans? The, the, I was the, giving an inner look at my passengers. mind. That is where my mind was at the moment. It was that weird squawking noise. So, it's been about a month since we did it inside the cockpit. That's kind of how this part of the show goes, yeah. Yeah, and one so every month. time has elapsed. Nah, that doesn't make sense. And things have happened since then. They have. Mostly life. That didn't happen at all. Okay, fair enough. So, I, I told you I had a topic. You um, did. Did we, you lie to me? No, no, no. We were talking about Led Zeppelin, and I was like, I don't really like Led Zeppelin. And actually, that's kind of related to a topic I want to talk about. Okay, okay, continue. And, like, it's because I know not liking Led Zeppelin as a rock and metal fan is objectively wrong. Led Zeppelin is good, as if you're a fan of rock yeah. music. Led Zeppelin is good. I agree. I like a handful of their songs. Okay. I don't dislike anything particularly by them. I just never really got into them. That's understandable, though. So, that brings me to my point. Akira. Akira? Yeah. I hate I hate the movie. It's garbage. It's, it's just downright garbage. Okay. And you know who agrees with me? Several people. The director of the movie, Akira. Yeah, he the hates- ri- The writer of the manga, Akira. Yeah, the writer absolutely- dislikes the movie he especially dislikes the last part of like the last half of the movie which is also the part i hate of the movie so. yeah no the last half is the weakest part of akira but like its initial part with just the baggery gangs and the dystopian city that was meant to be a utopia equivocally in the world is like really good it has some really good scenes and basically the moment you start hitting the experiments and the kids is where it starts to go downhill i would entirely agree with that like i know my statement has never been that i'm a huge akira fan i've always been like yo akira though is like it has done fantastic work just pushing anime forwards and making it more popular. Like It is a, a staple in the genre, mm-hmm. very much like Led Zeppelin, yes. But like I know objectively I'm wrong. Like Akira is objectively not just a good anime movie, but like a good film. Akira is objectively good. I mean, it has like amazing cinematic shots. It's why the bike slide is just a thing that exists throughout and, media. And also like it revolutionized how anime was done because it used to be 24 frames per second. Yes. So 12 slides of animation per second. Yeah. So for each frame, one slide. Mm-hmm. But Akira did 24 slides per second. Yeah. Literally doubled the work. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I can say about Akira. Not, not a fan of the movie. Not a fan of the story. Its animation is so fucking like smooth. It's so pretty. So smooth. It's definitely part of what made the whole like famous bike slide a thing. Because you would have not been able to pull off that smooth animation mm-hmm. anytime before that. 100%. It no. is. It was literally like one of its major selling points. That's why you would see like if you look up old trailers for Akira. It's always in the trailer because it was a major selling point of this looks so smooth and it transitions so well because of all of the amount of in-betweens in that frame shot. Uh, I'm only thinking about Akira recently, though, because a podcast I listen to, Deep Cuts, go check them out, recently did an episode where they deep dived like how Akira was the essentially the genesis point for animation in the West. Anime coming to the West, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, in that episode, they didn't really deep dive enough of like how Akira did that, they more deep dive the creation of the m- movie. Yeah, which was an int- was interesting in and of itself. But like the title was something. The title of the episode was like how Akira changed anime, and I was like, yeah, which I, eh. I, I that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to like like the synopsis of the story of how it came to the West is a production company was like, this is really gory. This is like the animation is really smooth. We could repackage some trailers with rock music. And, like, push it towards a very specific audience. Yeah. And that's what they did. And, like, the audience that bought into Akira wasn't the audience that had become the core audience of Akira. Because it was pushed to the wrong audience, but it somehow just still... Yes. 
It found it. It's yeah. found its audience, though. But, like, I'm more interested in, like, who that production company was, who those people were that made that decision. Understandable, yeah. Like, that's what I thought I was getting into. But, like, the entire time I was listening to it, both the hosts of that show love Akira. Like, it changed their view of anime I when they saw that. it in middle yeah. school and high school. For me, it didn't do anything for me. I was like, oh. Well, yeah, I think a big thing is you had seen a fuck ton of anime. Yeah, that's fair. After Akira. Yeah. Like, well, before Akira, yeah. I, I was talking about in, in, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. things that had come after it, like a fuck uh-huh. ton of things that had come after it. So you'd seen all of those things before you ever saw Akira. So it yeah. very much like, well, like, yeah, like that. it's smooth and it's pretty, but like I get that every day nowadays. It, it, I'm spoiled for great animation. For me, watching Akira was a lot like going back and watching The Shining or, or the one with the obelisk, the Kubrick film. With 2001 the A Space Odyssey, yeah. baby. It was like going back and watching one of those movies that I know is like a cornerstone of modern film that I hadn't seen up until when I went back to watch those. Yeah. That's what Akira was. I like it's a cornerstone of anime. I'm going back to watch it to like get this history. Yeah. But I, I just didn't enjoy it. And like thinking about how I did not enjoy it and it's objectively good. I was trying to figure out if there's other things that I've like watched or read or like experienced that are apparently objectively good that I just could not vibe with. Yeah. And I have one other idea of something that is critically suggested as good, but I did not vibe with. And that was the Green Knight, which we saw together. The Green Knight's fucking bullshit. Fuck him. But like if those are my only two examples of things that I did not find good that are apparently objectively good, am I like, I don't want to say like a sheep, like that, that would be the derogatory term, but like, is my taste just the taste of culture at that point? Like, it can't be, because my favorite anime is like an anime nobody's heard of, and like an anime that like people in general wouldn't find interesting, I think, in like, unless you push it on them and like force it. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people do find it interesting. Like, yeah, okay. Like, I think you, in a base, like, the average person, so the people who have watched anime who aren't super deep into it, yeah, they definitely wouldn't. But I think that falls very heavily when you're talking about non-shonen or non-seen and action-heavy anime. But on the flip side of that, my favorite book is a book that I think, if I can, if you can get anybody to read it, they'll love. I, I, which agree. I guess Bakuman is kind of that way, too. I think if anybody yeah. watches Bakuman. But I think that's part of what makes something your favorite, like... It's one of the things where you insist, like, no, if you would watch it or such. I think most people believe their favorite thing is someone else was exposed to it. They would enjoy it as well. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Because as someone who inherently enjoys it or inherently loves it, you know what's good qualities and you know why those things would vibe or jive with people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm 100% under the impression that my favorite movie is an outlier, that people, like, people would like my favorite movie, but, like, nobody else is going to say this is their favorite movie. I know I'm wrong. My favorite movie is The Replacements with Keanu oh, Reeves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At one point, my favorite movie was The Matrix, and then it was The Crow, and then I read The Crow graphic novel, and I was like, well, this the Crow is just, graphic novel is just, better, yeah. just strictly superior to the movie. And then I fell in love with The Replacements. I'd already seen The Replacements before I saw Matrix or The Crow, but like over time, that movie's just become like this comfort food of film to me. I got you. I don't know. I just... I uh, I honestly don't think I have a favorite movie. Yeah, no, it's, it's a hard thing to have. And, like, I think it's become apparent through our In the Cockpits that I have, like, this weird obsession with, like, how people classify favorites and what is objectively oh, yeah, good definitely. and subjectively good. Yeah, we've talked about it multiple times like, before. For some reason, the idea of objectively good art and subjectively good art is just very, like, ingrained in my brain. Like, why are some things considered good? Akira is just good. Yeah. But, like, I don't like Akira. But, like, or, like, something that is objectively good that I do like, The Matrix, objectively a good film, I love it. Like, why yeah. Why is that? Why is there that dissonance in between what people objectively like and subjectively like and what causes that? Well, clearly part of it's about a resonance of a topic or a theme or even just an artistic style mm-hmm. is very Fair much. enough. Like, I think part of the reason why you very much do not 
like Akira is that the back half, the storytelling of the back half of the movie falls apart. It is much weaker compared to the front half of the movie. I wish I could just be like, oh yeah, no, it's the body horror. I, I hate body horror, but that's not it. Like, no. the, I, I hate some body horror, mostly if it involves eyes, but Akira <laughs> doesn't. So like, it's not like... Yeah, no, I honestly think it's just you don't like the storytelling in the back half of Akira, which is perfectly fine. It's storytelling in the back half is quite weak. And as people say, it's the beginning and end you remember, the middle gets left behind. Yeah. So even though Akira opens kind of strong, the ending... The ending's weak. I also do not like the ending of Akira. I like The majority of things, like when I talk about something about it being good, I almost never talk about Akira as being subjectively good. Because mm-hmm. I do not, I personally do not think it's subjectively good. Okay, fair enough. I think it is subjectively good. Um, yeah. But like, if we're talking about my personal taste, I'm not a huge fan of it. I like the front half. I very much like the character design, the voice acting, and the animation. That does not make a good film. You can have a live action movie with great cinematography, great sound, and fantastic actors. And like, still not have a good movie. Like Cloud Atlas. That is true, true. Everything in that movie is good, except the movie itself. Yeah. Like, it's it's astounding. I remember we watched Cloud Atlas, and we were both like, everything about this is so good. Except it. Which is wild. Yeah. It, Cloud Atlas is like the definitive, its parts are greater than its whole. I would agree. Yeah, no, I think you get that a lot. And honestly, I think the most important thing when looking at something objectively is that you are looking at it as an individual objectively, not just relying upon what other people say or report about it. Like, we do a review podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're objectively right. Like, my first kill was not very good, and that's why Netflix canceled it. Except people loved it, and it had high ratings, but they canceled it. Yeah, it actually had better ratings than a lot of other shows that that they're giving second seasons to. I honestly don't know why they canceled it. It was doing well for them. Because it had a very good audience that it resonated with. I also want to be be honest. We never said the show was bad. We just said we didn't like it. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of things that were fun to discuss about the show, and like it had cool stuff happening. Look, there's a thing that happens when you have critics which i definitely don't think we are bona fide like critics obviously Mm -hmm. but when you have anybody reviewing or criticizing something if you get to know the way they view things or the things they enjoy it allows you to determine whether or not you would like something even if you disagree with the person talking which is part of the reason why i think inside the cockpit is such an important part of the co-pilots yes it allows you to know what we think and how we view things which is very important to understanding our thought process when we're talking about reviewing a show yeah because yeah we honestly give more of a synopsis of a show than a review but we we joke about it we criticize points and pieces here and there and we then we offer our final thoughts on each episode right? well, also like during our synopsis of the, of the episodes we very much highlight things we love about what's going on and things and we things don't. that we just found stupid which yeah. is which is still criticism and review yeah exactly so there is obviously there are a fuck ton of studies and things done on objectivity and subjectivity fuck this topic goes back hundreds of years obviously But the most important thing is recognizing that subjectivity and objectivity can be separated. And just because something is objectively great doesn't mean you have to enjoy it because you have your own subjectivity. Or just because you subjectively love something doesn't doesn't mean mean it's fantastic. Yeah, if somebody came up to me does not mean it's actually good. Like, I know people that love the schlockiest of schlocky B-horror movies. Hell, because they put it on a fucking, like, letter grade scale. I would argue they love F-grade horror movies. I don't know what those are, but the schlockiest, worst horror movies I've ever seen, I know someone that would love those, because that's just shit they enjoy. Yeah, I I know a listener, specifically, 
Uh, That's exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, who who just loves the shittiest of shitty horror movies, which is perfectly understandable. Like, I don't love all of them, but there are certain ones I'll watch and I'll be like, <laughs> "That was fucking horrible." I'll watch that again. But like, like you said, it's it's important to be able to separate the two. Because like, I love the replacements. The movie is fun. It's it's a joyride. Honestly, it's amazing. Yeah. In my opinion, but if somebody emailed us or even told me on the street or in person, we're like, "Hey, uh, I watched the replacements, and it is." And that movie was like boring as fuck and terrible. I'd be yeah. like, "I mean, fair enough. I mean, like, sure, fair enough, but you can't tell me the scene where they were they were they were all singing Survive by Gloria Estevan, right? Yeah." Like, you can't tell me that scene wasn't fun. For me, The Replacements is really fun, which makes it my favorite movie. It's not, like, really great. Oh, yeah. I mean, I very much think you would also be in the same camp that if someone walked up to you on the street and was like, The Replacements is 10 out of 10, the most perfect movie ever made. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I I feel like you would be like, you're just fucking wrong. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it, but that's wrong. Literally my favorite movie, but at best an 8.5 out of 10. Like Yeah, definitely. That's where I would be. I'd probably sit at an eight or a seven and a half, honestly. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Personally, I often find things that are objectively good tend to be more in my subjective wheelhouse, things that I like more. If something is well composited, well scored, well acted, well written, has good dialogue, has good pacing, I like those more, which I think is why when you're wondering why you find yourself subjectively more in tune with things that have been very well received objectively or as we view objectively which is uh, uh, basically what we come to term as an objective opinion an objective consensus on things is literally just a consensus of hundreds of thousands of people of multiple consumers being like well this is how this can be portrayed or looking at specific actual shots and being like well we have things that prove that this is pleasing to the eye objective is all this information that can be proven or suggested very much so to be correct and because some of these things are correct each time i've said that i put air quotes by the way listeners you find yourself more subjectively in tune with it because you do find these things more pleasing and you recognize the merit and you enjoy those things you know i was just thinking the last half of us is probably another one that objectively like the objective opinion and my subjective opinion differ Differ, yeah i'm not gonna dive deep into the last of us i didn't personally like aspects of it i didn't like the story uh the story didn't feel very original to me i basically heard the same story multiple times it's the road it it is the road yeah it's the road with zombies like but i've i've had by the time i played the last of us i had way too much zombie media and that's before like walking dead and shit when i first played it It's just personally i liked zombies and i overconsumed in zombie media yeah ever since i played resident evil at the age of like seven or eight zombies have been a yeah. like vibe and then i also did not enjoy the gameplay the other core tenant of the video game i didn't in, care for the story actually, and i definitely didn't like the gameplay the I gameplay the, i think the gameplay is actually very good i did not enjoy the gameplay um i think the main problem with that is the gameplay felt so slow to me Fair enough. That yeah. the already what felt like slow story to me felt even slower. Mm, fair enough. That it all kind of just dragged on and on for your story that I already found subjectively slow. But objectively, Last of Us is great. That's why it's getting a TV yeah, it, show. I recognize that it had good mechanics and things. I just, I did not like the way it all came together. Yeah. I, I didn't want to deep dive Last of Us. But like, yeah, the, the difference between objective and subjective is obviously apparent there for both of us with Last of Us. Outside of my continually obsessive thoughts with the idea of objectively good stuff or objectively with objective and subjective interpretations of media art 
objective and subjective views on art. Yeah. Outside of that, which has taken up a good portion of this episode already. Yeah. You got anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because I know I just yeah, dropped yeah. Um, that idea. Subjectively, wrestling sucks. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, okay, you don't like wrestling. Fair enough. That's right. Fuck, you can't I, disagree with subjective opinion. You like some wrestling. like I like some spots in wrestling, yeah. Fair enough. I, I think objectively most wrestling isn't good like <laughs> yeah i also agree on that point <laughs> thus um I, I i love i feel like my reasoning balances i love wrestling but like no you're right i think objectively speaking most wrestling that is on tv isn't good uh, i can't even defend myself like <laughs> i've speared him in the leg he cannot continue wwe is getting better now that vince mcmahon's gone and triple h is in charge of creative i mean that's just good things i mean it was it's always great when a rich fuck who deserves everything fucking coming to him finally he's still gets, a rich fuck and even if he goes to finally gym, gets part of it like he's never obviously gonna get everything he fucking deserves like but some modicum of justice at least wwe is getting better and aew looks like they're breaking their story rut they've been stuck in a holding pattern for like two and a half three months because a bunch of top stars were injured and it feels like they're breaking out of their holding pattern which is great cm punk is back kenny omega is probably back next week like so televised wrestling is going to be getting better at least in the short term that's good and i'm really excited for some of the stories that AEW is telling like but like you said subjectively you don't enjoy it subjectively i love and i'm obsessed with wrestling i think on a daily basis regardless of if there's been a new episode of AEW or not i'm consuming at least like 90 minutes of wrestling content either in the form of podcasts or news videos i think daily there's nothing i consume Wait, no, never mind. I listen to music for at least 90 minutes a day. Yeah, I mean, music and Not necessarily new, but... On the topic of new music, I have a complaint about Spotify. Yep. Discover Weekly should be more than 30 songs. I would would agree. Or it should should work like the Steam's Discovery queue. That you can just refresh it? Yeah. When you finish it, there should be an option to go again. 30 songs is not enough for a week. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially when like a third of them are always like stuff I don't want. Like I'm like, there's that, or the third happens to be things you already know. You just haven't listened to in a bit, and Spotify's just like, here's this band you've never heard of. And it's just like, what the fuck, Spotify? I listened to like a month ago. I know not, who they are. Not last week, but the week before. My Discover Weekly queue had Ice Nine Kills, the greatest story ever told. I mm-hmm. listened to it three times in a row on my Discovery playlist. I was like, yeah, this song slaps. That I was like, it's stupid that this is on my Discovery playlist. When I actively listen to Ice Nine Kills? Yes. Yeah, no, it's They're dumb. Like, you've I've, never- had, I've had them put Coheed and Cambria oh. on my Discovery list. Well, I guess for, for Spotify, they were like, oh, you only listen to their newer albums yeah, see, on but my, Spotify. But my thing is, that doesn't make sense with me and Coheed. I've listened to literally all of Coheed's discography on Spotify. Oh, Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, we're on music. I just wanted to vent my, my frustration about Spotify. Maybe somebody from Spotify will hear this and realize, hey, Steam does it. We can fi- We can do it, too. It's not that hard. We have a select algorithm for the person, by which we mean we've input some basic core values and data. So arguably the thing we do to refresh it each week, if we just allowed them to do it. Could could be done on demand. There's no reason it can't. Uh. Yeah, look, Spotify, if you can do once a week what I can make Pandora do constantly. So, yeah, I know you didn't want to dive into it. And I know you're kind of hating me right now because I haven't watched the first two episodes yet. And you have... And you're waiting on me to watch them so we can review. Yeah. First two episodes of The Sandman. How, how are they? In, in case anybody here isn't aware, The Sandman was a graphic novel series by the literal best author 
alive on Earth today, Neil Gaiman. I would agree with that statement. That's an objective fact. It's not a subjective truth. No. Um, He's correct on this one, guys. Neil Gaiman, best author alive. Has never written a bad book. Take your George R. R. Martins and your Patrick Rothfusses and throw them in the look, trash. Look, if you are a fanboy of George R. R. Martin because you watched Game of Thrones, fuck off. Go try to read A Song of Ice and Fire and be bored to tears. Neil Gaiman, best author. He wrote this. Okay, he... actually, if you like A Song of Ice and Fire, congratulations. I found his writing very dry. Doesn't mean it's bad. I just didn't like it. He he wrote some comics in the 90s and 80s and yeah, 90s, 80s and 90s and some in the early 2000s still. Mm-hmm. But he was most well-known for a series called The Sandman. Fun fact, did you know when he approached DC, he didn't want to write Sandman? Wild. He, he didn't want the character of Sandman. I forget which character. Uh, he approached DC to write one of their different characters, and they're just like, no, but you can have this one. And did they, they gave him Sandman from, like, All-Star Squadron Sandman, right? Well, they kind of just gave him Sandman. Okay. Uh, so it had both... Oh, I am failing to remember their names. It's fine. Um, One of them You had court- Gas Mask one, and then you had Yellow Outfit, like... Red belt with a other, uh, time. Other than the Gaiman one, that's my favorite. Yellow outfit Sandman. The, so I believe there's been two of those Sandmans, and there's mm-hmm. been one gas mask Sandman, I believe. I might be wrong on that there's statement. The, there's the yellow outfit Sandman with like the blue executioner's hood and cape. Mm-hmm. Like that, I love. There's something I just love about like 60s and 70s and 80s comics, and they're yeah. like the characters that existed then. Okay, look, my favorite 60s or 70s art. For a character will always belong to Alan Scott Green Lantern. Tarantula. Tarantula's great. I love Alan Scott Green Lantern, though. The fucking red shirt, purple pants, green cape. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Bleach hair, green eye mask, and an actual fucking lantern. That's what I'm talking about. There's just... It's iconic, for one. And for two... Nothing in comic book movies will ever feel as comic book as DC characters in the 80s and 70s. Yeah. Like, if you guys don't know who the Tarantula is, he's essentially a British secret agent who dresses- Wasn't he formerly MI6 in the comics? Oh, yes, 100%. Who dresses in, like, a brown and black outfit with a spider motif. Okay, so it's all, like, I would say probably, like, black lycra underneath. Yeah. Within just, like, brown chaps almost over those. And And then, like, a- A suede-ish material over the top of the lycra top. Yeah. And then, like, a brown vest with a tarantula on it. And the the only spider like powers he has is, is a, a hook shot. grappling hook, yeah. It's so good. I love him so much. He's just a secret agent with a grappling hook, and his entire gimmick is the tarantula, which also grappling hook is the only spider thing about his character, and tarantulas yeah. don't even use web like that. It's fantastic. Ugh. Someone's just like, We need a character. What about the tarantula? I cannot it cannot. I would explain. like to point out how big of a faux pas this character existed as in DC is when Spider-Man got popular and DC was like, we could just do a Spider-Man character. They made an entirely new character that was just a Spider-Man ripoff instead of changing the tarantula. Uh, I love I love shit like that so much. You have no idea. Yeah. So like the fact that you can kind of tell just from that answer alone that it's very common for comic books just to be like, well, we'll cut that and never return to it. So when Gaiman came to DC and was like, hey, I want to do something, and they're like, well, we're not going to let you do the thing you wanted to, but you'd have this instead. They basically were like, just redo Sandman. Do it however you want. And Gaiman himself was like, from my understanding at least, was, well, I'm not just going to ignore the previous things. I'll integrate it. And he did. So his Sandman, his version of Sandman, the Avatar of Dream, does include, like, the guy in the 60s fucking running around in a fucking spandex outfit with a pouch of sand he throws at people. I just read... As well as the guy with a fucking mask and a sleep gun. Oh, I can't remember the name of the, seri- name of the series. I just read it. It's a DC series. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. I am also failing to remember the name, but yeah. 
and like Sandman is like one of the key characters in that. He's one. Mm-hmm. Of, he is a character that leads to the triggering of the events that. Yeah, Gaiman was so influential with this character that it made Lucifer, which got its own comic book series, got its own Netflix TV adaptation. He made Constantine. Well, he didn't really. I don't think he made Constantine, but he made Constantine very, very popular. And then got the Hellblazer comics, which are still going. I got a movie with him. I got a TV show. Like, yeah, it. he did a lot of fucking great things. Hell, because he created the Sandman comic, that's why we have one of Superman's most amazing feats being that he lifted the pages of the Book of Destiny. Kingdom Come, that's what it's called. It's an Elseworlds comic. Yeah. Kingdom Come. Yeah, Sandman's a key character in Kingdom Come, and he's also... Yeah, Kingdom Come. Go read it. It's kind of sad, but also very good. Yeah, it's, it's literally a fantastic read. And it has probably some of the best character redesigns that DC has kind of just ever done. It's also got a really weird, like, ending where Superman and Wonder Woman have a kid together. Nah, yeah, like, that happens. Like, knowing DC's mainline canon, that just feels weird to me. Like, kind of almost icky, but, like... I mean, out of the heroes in the JLA, they are the two that hook up together the most. Yeah, that's fair. Anyways, back to Sandman. I only mentioned Kingdom Come because he appears in it as a notable character. Am, am I supposed to be talking more about it? Uh, you were talking about how Gaiman changed the character yeah, into and, an endless. Yeah, it made it fucking fantastic. Okay. And uh, had a giant impact on DC going forwards. So, back to the original question then. How are the first two episodes that you've watched and I haven't? I watched them. Um, I won't say more because we plan on reviewing it next. Nothing? Okay, how accurate are they to the comics? The first two episodes alone? I would say fairly accurate. There's a few small changes, but nothing negatively impacting the show or the comic book. Like, okay, It have- all fits very, very well. I have a question, and it'd be fair if you tell me to just go watch it myself. Yeah. Gwendolyn Christie's Lucifer, does she appear in the first two episodes? Not in the first two episodes, no. I just, I'm really excited to see how her Lucifer plays. If it helps, the first episode ends with Dream's Freedom. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. We have to deal with all of his ordeals. So that is the second of the ordeals he goes through, if you remember correctly. Yep, I got you. So I believe that is episode three or four would make sense yeah i don't remember how much time we spend doing stuff in two i believe it should be episode three i believe we resolve episode two with him getting his sand back cool because the interpretation of lucifer that neil gaiman did in the sandman graphic novel or individual comics yeah it's just one of the best interpretations of the character, and it's obvious. It's honestly what led to the, the the Lucifer TV show. Like it's what led to the Lucifer comics, really. Yeah, like Gaiman reinvented the character in such a way. Also, Wolverine's in hell in that series. Yes, which is such a ballsy thing to do for DC. Like they didn't have permission from Marvel, but they're just like they stuck Wolverine in hell. He's in a cage, I think, in one of the. Uh, panels. yeah, he should be one of the cages of thorns along with Nada. It's like mm. in that background art. It, well, the thing is, it's hard to prove that it's Wolverine because it's vaguely drawn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's Wolverine, though. I think he, I think Wolverine was actually dead during that time, too, he in the was. comics. Yes, like, that, is, that is the point. Yeah. Sandman. Great graphic novel, great comics. In fact, there's a Sandman comic, uh, Midsummer's Night. A Midsummer's Night, which won the WFA... Um, World Fantasy Awards, it won the best short story, which enraged so many other people that the awards were then changed to include a graphic novel slash comic category because people were upset that a comic won best short story. It's, ah. I do believe that was, I might be wrong, but I do believe that was 94 that it won that. It's so good. I'm a Reddit user, like an active user of Reddit. I don't post, I just read stuff, but there was a recent post about, this person was like, am I the asshole? Because I got in an argument with my 
significant other. Well, no, because I got an argument with my kid's teacher because okay. the teacher assigned summer reading and the, the, the assignment was read a novel, well, read a book with over 80 pages and then write a book report on it. Yeah. And their kid who's going into sixth grade read the entirety, which is like once you like break it down into like words per page would be over 400 pages of the Watchmen. Yeah. And they submitted their, their paper and like it's two weeks before school now. Like they don't have time to like read something, read else, something else and, and do an entire paper on it. Yeah. And their teacher replied back, hey, this isn't good enough. This is a comic, not a book. I said you needed to read a book. Okay. That, and, like, that's that, bullshit. I have a legally extraordinary gentleman mm-hmm. book. Yep. Uh, the, the first volume, collected volume. Uh, and like the back half of it is literally just the written script that Alan Moore had for it, mm-hmm. which talks about how like he has a scene set up and then the dialogue. And that alone is like 20 pages. Look, if we're being completely honest, Shakespeare... Shouldn't count as reading a book, then. No, it definitely shouldn't. Because it's just it's just a stage script. It's it's stage direction and prose. And like the arguments weren't like a lot of the arguments in the comments weren't about hey you didn't handle this properly with the teacher, which the person didn't. Like I'm not going to defend them on that front. He's like they ended up going to the principal to get a new teacher because for their kid. Like no, you're just making your kid look like a yeah. Anyways, the teacher's in the wrong because they didn't clarify on the assignment. Yep. And once you like look at the reading level of Watchmen and like. The, the words per page. And the like, just like literary analysis you can do of it. Yeah. Hell, well, I had to read The Watchmen for like a, a 300 level college class. Look, it, man, if colleges and high schools teach mouse. Yes, which I had to read for that college class too. Yeah. Then you can fuck off with your bullshit. There is clearly literary value to comics. People were like, well, like, it, the, most of the disagreement in the comic, in the, in the com- comments were like, well, obviously, it's not a book. It doesn't count. It, it is collected and bound. It is a book. It's so weird. Like, even in the modern day where comics have become, like, not just commonplace, but, like, a cornerstone of modern media and, like, the... Yeah. Uh, the the idea that it doesn't hold literary value or weight. It's just so wild. It's so wild. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we got on this con on the, uh, this this far off the tangent, but like my point is, Sandman's amazing. It was the only comic ever to win the Writers Fantasy Award um, mm-hmm. for best short story because they li- they then changed they literally the rules. changed the rules. So they no did, one else could. They didn't create a new category until like years later. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying they did eventually create a comic and graphic novel category. Yeah, years later because at the time it wasn't that people were upset that it won best short story. It's people were upset that it won a fantasy writing award. They're like, yeah, it can't run a, win an award for writing. It's a comic. Yeah. <sighs> go watch Sandman. Go read Sandman. Actually, forget about reading Sandman right now. Go watch it. G- make the numbers look good for oh, Netflix. Yeah. Watch it and then read it and then listen to the audio drama and then buy it and then read the overtures and then read the death comics and then find every appearance of any of the Endless in DC and read those. <laughs> I've done all of those, which is why... Purely suggest this. If you haven't, you're just missing out on amazing stuff. And yes, I realize a lot of the appearances necessarily in DC aren't written by Gaiman, but they are fantastic characters. Oh, I should also be mentioned that, like, when people say Neil Gaiman, I know a lot of people are like, who's that? Like, they don't recognize the name. Yeah, but, but- I guarantee you, you've seen Coraline, you've May have seen Stardust, and by the way, if you haven't seen Stardust, fucking watch it. It's one of the best so, book-to-film um, adaptations I've ever seen. There's a YouTube channel that I watch called Cinema Therapy, mm-hmm. and... Do they have a Stardust episode? They do. They have an episode on Stardust. It's fairly new. And they make a statement in there that sounds very bold, mm-hmm. but I kind of agree with. And it's that it's sad because Stardust should be more well-known because Stardust should be 
a modern generation's princess bride. It's yes. Oh no, you're. Mm. They are completely right with that statement. Uh, Stardust is an amazing book. I I read it and like loved it. Like, I read it. I watched the movie. The movie was fantastic. Was Stardust my first Gaiman novel? It was not mine. It was either Stardust or Neverwhere. Either way, book, but Stardust, Neverwhere, Coraline, even American like, Gods. That's what I was getting to. He, Coraline. A movie that I think everybody knows. It was a cornerstone of a generation's childhood. Like a Studios has fantastic claymation and artwork. Yeah, that was that was a guy. He get Guyman wrote that book, which became yep. that movie. And the book is actually creepier than the movie, believe it or not. Weird, right? And he, then Stardust, a movie that I fell in love with. And then American Gods. American Gods has three seasons, four seasons. I think it's over now. Yes, I believe so. But it stars Ricky Whittle, an amazing actor. Guyman was like on set making this show happen, and he doesn't let he doesn't let Hollywood ruin his shit. Also, like, don't forget Good Omens, which Good Omens was yeah, not Terry too long Pratchett. ago, and still having its second season that's going to come out. Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, like mm, fantastic, amazing book. Gaiman, a great Gaiman's, show. Gaiman's kind of like slowed down on his like writing of fiction. But at the same time, he slowed down on writing fiction so that he can turn his fiction into visual media at this point. He's yeah. all, he's, all of it's getting made. We got American Gods that just finished. Ocean at the End of the Lane is a stage play now. A very successful award-winning stage play. We just got Sandman. We had Good Omens. Yeah, no, like, he is I don't know how many fantastic. ways I can say. If, you're, if you like reading, read Gaiman. If you don't like reading, listen to Gaiman. Watch Gaiman. He's making so much good stuff. Also... I'm going to share one of my favorite anecdotes about Gaiman and yeah. TV production. Okay. So, in American Gods... Also, The Graveyard Book definitely was my first Gaiman book, because I read Gaiman before 2008, so it would have to have been Coraline. Ricky Whittle's character gets out of prison at the beginning of the series. He was in prison for a bank robbery or a heist, a casino, a casino heist. heist. yes. Yeah. And that went wrong. He gets out of prison early because his wife died, and like um, it was a couple months before he was due out anyway, so they just go yeah. ahead and grant him release, which happens in real life. That's a thing that happens. Not as often as it probably should, but it's a thing that happens. Yeah. He finds out that his wife died performing oral sex on his best friend. Yep. And his best friend died in the same car crash. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So his best friend's wife, they meet at his wife's grave. Yes, and she suggests that they hook up on top of their grave to get back at them. And, like, she's pissed off and angry because her husband was cheating on her and died that way. But, like, Ricky's character, Shadow... He's upset, but he's not, like, pissed, and, like, yeah. that's not a thing he would do. The writers for the show were like, yeah, no, we should totally have them have sex on the grave, because TV, we're on, like, yeah. stars or something, and, like, we got, it was stars, yeah. We we can, we're allowed to do this, we can do it. And Gaiman was like, if reportedly. you had, you reportedly, supposedly, according to the story, Gaiman was like, look, if you have them have any form of sex at Laura's grave, I will walk into traffic and kill myself. But before I do, I will let everyone on the internet know that it's your fault that I am dead. Yeah. Fun fact thing that I just learned. Neil Gaiman's How to Talk to Girls at Parties, the short story thing, mm -hmm. also has a movie. Wild. Um, Came out in 2017. I love to go look at that. Yeah. I did not know. I know now, and I will watch it at some point. So, at some point, this episode went from... Objectivity and subjectivity in art. To be in a Gaiman appreciation podcast. Of, because objectively and subjectively, he's amazing. Yeah, because both, no matter how you slice it, Neil Gaiman is writing some of the best stuff in the history of literature. I'll say it. As a former English major, I feel like I have the ground to say, I've read enough English literature to tell you that Gaiman is writing better stuff than 99% of them. That feels very grandiose to say. 
It does. But I'm not going to disagree with it. It just feels a bit much. It's weird, but sometimes you roll a 23 times in a row while playing D&D, too. It happens. <laughs> things happen. True, yeah. Sometimes. Statistical anomalies exist. Sometimes things just are the way they are. I also wanted to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 at some point during this episode, but we're already like closing on that 45-minute mark, which is where we try to sit for these. Yeah. But long and short of it, I recently started Red Dead Redemption because it was on sale for like 20 bucks on and Epic. And Dutch is an asshole. And Dutch is going to get everybody killed, and I fucking hate him. My camp just moved. I'm like, the game says I'm 40% of the way through the story, and I'm like, if I don't get to kill Dutch at some point, I'm going to be pissed because if he gets anybody I like killed, if he gets Charles killed or Hosea killed, I'm going to kill him without the game letting me. I will fucking walk into camp, guns blazing. I know the game won't let me carry my guns into camp, but I'll shoot him with a sniper rifle from from afar. Fuck that man. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I love Charles. Charles is a, Charles is half black, half Native American. Okay. And one of the first quests you get to do with him is hunting bison. And he's telling you about how, like, his mom's people were always, like, they followed the bison and, like, they, they used the bison. The bison was their life. Like, yeah, everything about yeah. it was used. Any Okay. So you're hunting a bison down for the camp and you find bison corpses that have been killed but not, like, harvested for anything. Yeah. The thing that literally happened in the West where people would shoot bison from fucking trains because they could. And so you find those. He gets pissed about it. We find some more a little bit ways later. And like we decide to track these people down who, who are killing them. And, we find and these... then you find out that you're alongside some train tracks. No. And you're just like, oh, fuck, we're well, idiots. No, it's clearly those people. We find two people who apparently were paid to kill bison, paid per bison they killed to make it look like Indians were killing them. Yeah. And Charles just shotgun blasts one of the guys in the face. No questions. Understandable. No, nothing said. He just shoots him in the face. And like... Yeah, that makes Charles a murderer. We're a gang of outlaws. But also, that guy deserved it. Not only, like, bison are beautiful, amazing creatures. They don't fear humans. They're big furry cows. You can almost... I I don't suggest you do this if you ever see bison in the wild. Definitely don't. Don't fuck with wild animals. You can basically walk up to a bison and pet it, and it's not going to attack you or anything. They're so big, they don't fear. They don't have, like, a fear instinct in them naturally until humans start interacting with them. Yeah, they don't really have many predators, so... Yeah, and, like, these people were just out there killing them. And, like, if you're killing them and harvesting their meat or, like, fur... Their fur, oh, their horns, their fine, meat, whatever. Fine, okay, humans do that. We're shitty things. We, we're the shittiest of things. But if you're just out there butchering them for no reason, and I know this is a video game, but people did this for real, you're a horrible human being. You're a horrible person. Ugh. <sighs> God. Translation, big game hunters can go fuck off. I just got myself so emotional for, like, I a noticed. video game. Like, yeah, I realized. Fuck me, dude. Anyways, Charles became one of my favorite characters at that point in the game. When he, when the guy was, like, trying to, trying to like, make an argument about massacring animals for no reason, and Charles shot him in the face with a shotgun. Yeah. Became one of my favorite characters. I, I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> Charles sounds like the best character. Such a good guy. Jose is a really good guy, too. Dutch is a piece of shit. That's all I had to talk about. Did you have anything you wanted to hit on? Because we are like nothing that can't wait. Uh, you got if you have something, let's. Nick, I have something, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So nothing that can't wait. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I dominated the direction of this episode. That's eh, all good, man. Uh, anyways, if you want to leave your subjective or objective opinions on our podcast with us, so we can read them, you can do that at copilotsreview at gmail.com. 
or you can try to have a discussion about it with us or anyone else on Twitter at CoPilotsReview. Or you can find us on our Discord, which I don't have the exact link for, but can be found at copilotsreview.simplecast.com. In that Discord, you can go in there and start an argument about how objectively The Replacements is the worst movie Keanu Reeves has ever done. You're wrong because... He did make speed, but more importantly, he did Babes in Toyland. And more importantly, he did Bill and Ted 3, which... Babes in Toyland is worse. Yeah, like, more objectively, there's worse Keanu Reeves movies. But if you think The Replacements was the worst, you can come in that Discord and let us know. I think that's all the ways you can get a hold of us. Contact us directly, suggest things, argue with us, tell us we're wrong. Otherwise, oh, we do have a Patreon, which you can find yeah. on our website. That's right. We make Patreon bonus content now. I was going to let it be a nice hidden surprise for them when they went to the website, copilot2u.simplecast.com. And as far as what, what our bonus content we do is, mostly, we're watching... Pilot Candidate. Yeah. The, the very first show we ever reviewed on Copilots, we're watching each and every episode, breaking it down, telling you why it's god-tier awful, and... We're going to move on to another show at some point, but right now, it's Pilot Candidate. Come join us. Hear us talk about Pilot Candidate and why it's bad. Anyways, those guys, thank you for joining us for this In the Cockpit, and hopefully we'll catch you on our next flight, which is probably going to be about Sandman. It's going to be Sandman. He's forcing me. I'm I'm literally being held at gunpoint right now. I bought a gun specifically for this reason. Anyways, thanks again. See you on the next flight.